two weeks ago, we started this, and I called this um, the essential of essentials part two. My daughter always asks me, she puts these things up here. She's like, what's your title? I go, the essential of essentials. She goes, you used that like two weeks ago. I go, I know it was part one. I'm supposed to. So it's part two. I mean, she's like, your, your title is dad. I mean, you've been doing this a little while. So you got to think a little bit more, but it's a part two. It really is. So it's just, it didn't work out. Like I had the gap of teaching for Pat in the middle of it. So you probably don't remember tons of it, but we are going to reread. It was only four verses because there's so much in what they call the love chapter. First uh, Corinthians 13. We, we are going to read those first four verses to set up five through 13, but the essential of the essentials part two, it's a little bit like what I taught at Sierra Vista last week, which was what the world needs. The world needs the church to embrace this, not only this chapter in first Corinthians, but to embrace the gifts, to embrace the fact that you as a Christian, if you are a Christian, you have been given something to use, to bless the church, to build up the church, to strengthen the church all of us together. I mean, the Bible so many times over and over again, especially Paul talks about, we are members of one body. It does not matter where you go to church. As long as that church is a Christian Bible teaching church, it does not matter the denomination, Bible church, non-denom, Southern Baptist, whatever. If they are on board with the word of God being the authority and Jesus is the only way to salvation, then we're brothers and sisters, no matter where they fellowship, no matter where they end up being. Now, after that, tier two, tier three, there might be some some differences of opinion as to how you do church or some formatic differences. Not a big deal. I don't really think they're a huge deal. Um, some people do, but they're not salvation. They're not like, okay, well, if you say Jesus isn't the, you know, he's not God, then we probably shouldn't call you a Christian church because you're not. You're a cult or you're something else. You're a derivative because you can't, you can't read the word of God and, and find anywhere where Jesus isn't who he says he is. He's the creator, but he's also the savior. And that's what we're celebrating. Um, Obviously at this time of year, it's highlighted, but it's the essential, it's love that he gives us. The ability to do these things is with this love. This is not the love of the world. This is not the love that, that people talk about when they say, oh, I love that. I love that place. I love that vacation destination. I love that restaurant. I, we use that word so liberally in this culture. We, I mean, it just it, you could use it like 50 times in a day in 50 different contexts, but we're really talking about agape, sacrificial love. And he starts off uh, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. That was last teaching. That was two weeks back. There's so much in that that it's tough to digest, but I do want to throw the context right back in there because we've talked about this church, the Corinthian church, the letter to the Corinthians, first and second, but we're in first Corinthians, that this church valued prophecy. They valued these kind of, I don't know if you want to call them upper shelf gifts. Uh, Some commentators use that terminology where it's like, well, the evangelists, the prophets, the teachers, I have to give the prophecy and I'm an apostle and okay. So you're better than the guys and the girls in the church that have the gift of helps and admin and the rest of it? No, you're not. And I think that's what he's saying right here. 
though I have the gift of prophecy, throws that out there almost right away because when when you meet people who have, you know they have some kind of bent and they're kind of like, they think a certain way about a certain thing. And you're trying to persuade them nicely, not in a mean way, but you're trying to persuade them nicely. When you when you write a letter or you you email them or whatever it is, you throw these things out there. And you in the broader context, what he's saying is, I can be the greatest Christian that's ever been, but if I don't have agape love, it profits me nothing. And so he throws out there the gift of prophecy because these the the leaders in this church, some of the lay leaders too, some of the people that weren't necessarily uh, in the offices of the church, but but kind of a big deal in the church. He throws this out there to sort of cut them off at the past. Like before you start going, well, what about prophecy, pastor? Or Paul, apostle, whatever. They would have called him a lot of things. He was definitely all the, he was a teacher, a pastor, uh, and an evangelist. But he's like, though I have the gift of prophecy, like like it's, it's almost like throwing a dart and hit the bullseye right off the bat. Like that's the thing you guys are most interested in. So I'm going to tell you that the number one gift, whatever that gift is, let's say they were all about, for whatever reason, they were all about fellowship. He would start off by saying, and though I have the gift of fellowship, if I don't have love, profits me nothing. So that's the setup. You know these people now. You know kind of how they think. There's a huge divide. There's a huge rift in the church. There's a lot of issues with this church. Tons of division. Tons of fracturing. When churches fracture, this is not every church, but it has happened throughout church history a lot. You've got, we use the word church split in the 19th and 20th and 21st century. Just the way it is. And we use that word. Church splits. Generally speaking, it's small stuff that becomes big stuff. In the eyes of people, it's not, it's not big stuff, but it becomes a big deal. It becomes like the elephant in the room. And so they can't get past it. They go, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to take off. I'm going to, you know, nobody appreciates me. I've been serving uh, for 15 years at the church and nobody says anything to me. Okay. I mean, we love you. We appreciate the service, but was it for us? Because if you're serving for us in a place where we don't know that you're serving, then you got it backwards. It's a wonderful thing to serve. It's a wonderful thing to be somebody in the background. But when you do it for somebody other than Christ, you will get burned and you'll get burned out. Mm -hmm. One of the two, if not both. So he says, hey, love suffers long. Tough to do that. People don't like to do that. People don't like to suffer at all, but they certainly don't love, like to suffer for a long period of time. Nobody does. But in our highlight here, 5 through 13, love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Rudeness is an interesting thing, rudeness in general. Um, you, you can see rudeness almost everywhere. Uh, the other day I was, uh, I don't even know where I was. I was in some parking lot and I was, I was leaving and I saw these two people coming and the shirt that one of them had said, I hate everybody and something else that wasn't, yeah, I'm not going to say it in church. Um, and just, just the looks on their face, the, their, both of their faces was just like defeat, hate, like I hate everything about life. That's when sometimes you can tell by people's body language just how life's kind of going. You just look at them and you're like, probably not so good. Just guessing. But the bumper stickers made the shirt look like a Disney shirt. I mean, they were like off the hook rude. I was like, well, 
you're probably not going to win many jobs, friends, prizes, competitions with that type of an outlook. And so that's rudeness. Um, it's just like, hey, right off the bat, I don't care about you. I don't care what you have to say. It's tough to get past real rudeness. There's another bumper sticker that, and I'll edit it for church, mean people stink. Have you seen this one before? People don't like being rude, being the victims of rudeness. People don't like when people are rude to them. People flip out. There's a, you know, if you run a business and you're rude in the, in the era of Yelp, you'll get your lunch handed to you. I was watching a YouTuber. My kids love this YouTuber. Um, and he, he, his whole job is to go to one-star hotels and hope that he can give them a five-star. And he reads the reviews of the one-stars and they're hilarious. But a lot of it is they were rude to me. This person was rude. The manager was rude. Um, with the SWAT was right outside of my room and I had to move and they were rude about it. I'm like, okay, well, that stinks. I've had that happen. My buddy had that happen to him and it wasn't rudeness. It was just fear um, that made him move. But when SWAT comes to your hotel, generally it's a one-star hotel. Just, you know, try and avoid them if you can. But we as people can get tripped up quickly with this one. Love, true love, the, the type of love that Paul's asking them to step up to the type of love he's displaying and his sacrificial love of this church and the type of love that he would display and say, there's one standard of love in this world. And that is Christ on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice. If ever there was a reason to be rude, especially the people that were torturing him, if ever there was a reason to um, parade yourself, it's, well, I'm God's son. Have you guys ever met uh, trust fund kids or CEOs kids or whatever? They let you know real quick. Um, I remember this, this is not a good story, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Um, there was a very large, famous pastor in another state, and this is years and years ago. And one of my friends was on staff at this church and the pastor's wife had a vanity plate on the back of her car. So it was very obvious as to who she was. And the, the, the police were following her and just lighten her up and she won't stop. And finally they like cut her off and they're like, what is going on? She goes, Oh, I, I assumed that wasn't for me. I assumed you saw the plate on the back. Do you know who I am? I'm like, you better be the president's wife if you say that to a law enforcement officer. Um, she's like, no, 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 my, 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 my husband is so-and-so. They're like, and you were speeding. We're pulling you over. We're citing you. And we should cite you for avoiding an arrest, but we're not gonna because now we see where your head was at. But, but that's not, it, it, it's, it's, it's those types of interactions where people go, that's why I'm not going to go to church. I, I find people rude or I find them hypocritical or I find them whatever. You fill in the blank. The adjectives are, are endless, it seems, online. But love, true love, doesn't behave rudely and it doesn't seek its own way. It doesn't seek its own will. It doesn't go, well, I have this preference. And unless you guys come to that preference, I'm not going to join you or I'm not going to go out to dinner with you. I don't like that place. Whatever it is. Rudeness. People really, really, they run from it. And unfortunately, you can, in the world of the internet, you can see a million of these. I saw another short with an evangelist that was getting into it with a guy because he was protesting something and the guy came up and how rude he was to that guy. And that guy saw through a lot of it and he was like, you know what? He goes, I just wish you would practice what you preach. And he walked away and I was like, it's such a bad witness. You can be against a lot of stuff. You can nice, Jesus was against sin. He mentioned it. He said, hey, go, you're free, but go and sin no more. He didn't not say it, but he wasn't rude about it. 
And people go, oh, yeah, well, Jesus got furious. He got furious at one thing. Any human being trying to get in the way of another human being trying to get to God. That's what he, you, you religious, trying to stop innocent people from coming and offering their sacrifice and making the temple, especially the courtyard, a currency exchange that no poor person can afford. That's what Jesus was furious about. He wasn't, he didn't hate people. He hated what they were doing to the temple, which was the place that you could meet God. That's what he hated. But no, Jesus, Jesus was not, there's a lot of misconceptions as to how he was. He was perfect and he was love, but he did not, he, he was not, he was not like a pushover. He was not a weakling. He was not, oh, Jesus was passive. He wasn't, he wasn't any of that stuff, but he suffered long. He was never rude. Verse six, uh, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Um, iniquity is an interesting word. Um, some Bibles translate this word injustice. Um, which I think is a good, I think it's a good synonym uh, for the, for the heart of it, but it is also iniquity. It is also just straight sin, like somebody being sinful. But at the same time, there is a, a sentiment to love rejoices when truth wins and justice prevails. When Christ comes back and rules and reigns from Jerusalem, that will be not only an exciting time, but that will be perfect justice. I watch a lot of cop shows. I love cop shows. And there's always these things nowadays with all the new, the new political content and shows where it's like, well, in the poor neighborhoods, we don't really get justice, but in the rich neighborhoods, we do. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's always been true uh, to some degree. Maybe it's always, maybe even in their time, the poor person couldn't get a fair shake. God hates that. The Old Testament's full of references to how much he hates what, what we would call dishonest scales. You're ripping people off. Why? Because they don't know any better. Because you, they trust that you're an honest business. Guys, I would love for all of us to take a gallon jug and go to a gas station and find out if we're really getting a gallon. Because when I go get the five gallon jugs of water, they're always at a different level. I don't get five. I get four point something. It says five. I'm getting, I'm getting shortchanged. I mean, go ahead and, and try and get your 15 cents back from them. It's going to be a long time. At the end of the day, who cares? But as long as they have water. But it's it's just one of these deals where like people assume they they assume that like well that's how all Christians are or that's how God must be because God allows for this to happen and that to happen. God's not happy with much of what goes on on this planet, but He loves people, and He wants people to come to salvation. He wants to give people time. And he uses the things in their lives and he uses the relationships and he uses the difficulties. So people will look at themselves and go, I am not all. I don't have it all figured out. I need help. That's one of the hardest things for people to say. I need help. Even when I was a little kid, I did not want help from anybody. I wanted to do my own thing. I told my grandparents when I was like five years old, my parents went away. I said, I'm in charge when my parents are around or when they're not around. My, my grandpa was like real quick to correct that. <clears throat> Southern gentleman from Tennessee, early 80s, not going to take it from a five-year-old. It was good for me. It hurt. It hurt, but it was good for me. Love rejoices in when justice wins. Love rejoices when the truth wins out. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This is the never give up passage. When I was in junior high, I had a teacher, a social studies uh, teacher, and he was, I liked him a lot. He was a good teacher. Um, and he goes, do you know what Winston Churchill said one time? And he does this thing and he goes, 
never, 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 never give up. And I looked it up and that's not what he said. He said something similar to that, but it was a, it was a speech. It was a very short speech. That part he was right about, but it was a better, it, it was, a, it was about that never giving up, but it was about just continuing to stay in the fight. Just, Hey, just stand your ground. You guys have seen the bumper sticker, you know, all that is needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Most true thing ever. Truth, so truthful that as society kind of moves toward more and more and more on lawlessness and sin and legalizing sin and making laws that that make sin like a, a preference and a good thing versus making sin something that should be punished, as they do, if you can't get justice, if you can't get honest men and women to get into office to change those things, it's a very, very, very quick slide nowadays. And it will be if, if this country doesn't change how legislation happens. If it doesn't, it will be very, very, very quick to, I mean, it's quick now, but it's going to get much, much, much quicker. If things don't in the next five to 10 years, if they don't change, it's going to slip hard. Then you're not going to find justice very many places at all. If you find much any right now, but he's saying, Hey, love doesn't give up. It, it bears with all things. Love believes all things. It believes the best. It believes that, that, that love can win out. It believes that, and I'm talking about, once again, the love of Christ, that it endures all things. It, it, it waits through brutal stuff. Jesus, his last 24 hours on earth, can't even imagine. The, the best movie that I've seen about it doesn't even come close to all that happened because that movie is less than three hours old and it went on for hours and hours and hours. And I used to believe after watching that, that God artificially let Jesus live to get onto the cross, to bring the thief into salvation. Because anybody else with what Jesus had had, had to endure should have been dead. I mean, that, that much, not only the blood loss, the trauma, all of it. And so Jesus bears all things. Love bears all things, endures all things. Verse eight, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, another ding, 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 guys, Corinthians, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Ooh, that hurts, Paul. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. In other words, they'll stop. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Not only did they love knowledge, a word of knowledge, knowledge in general, the times in which they lived, the place in which they live, knowledge was a huge deal. These, these brilliant thinkers, these brilliant uh, orators, these brilliant speakers, it was a big deal because you didn't have the types of entertainment we have right now. They had stuff that was super brutal, like football on steroids, like gladiator type stuff. And, be, you know, like, hey, here's five people that we hate. Let's tie up two tigers and see who wins. Bloodthirsty stuff. There was that, but there was also the sophistication, the the philosophers philosophizing and talking about life and what's out there and, you know, just entertainment. And then there was plays, obviously. But in this case, he's saying, guys, in the end, love never fails. All the rest of these things, they either will stop, fail, or they will run their course. The spiritual gifts will run a course. We will not need certain spiritual giftings in heaven. We won't need them because they were, for, they were to build up people who are sinful and full of flaws. They were to build them up spiritually and make them grow spiritually so that they look more like Christ than when they came to Christ. And so we're that, at some point in time, that's, that is not going to be there. Um, all these wonderful gifts, the creature comforts, the houses, the cars, the money, 
the prophets. How awesome were the prophets in the Old Testament? Amazing. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Um, some of the best writing. I mean, I love Ezekiel. I love that book. Did the Israelites listen to them very well? No. Did they listen to Jeremiah very well? He cried about it. They don't listen to me. Nobody, nobody comes to you. Look at all that I've done. Cry, the weeping prophet, crying a little tears for himself. Is that, is that a very selfless thing? Jeremiah, I know what he was doing. I know he was, he really had a heart for people to come, but they didn't. Prophets were amazing. I mean, I love the book of Daniel. We've done that book of Daniel. Jim's done Daniel how many times? It's an amazing book. Did they listen? No, we have a great way, a track record as people of Yahweh over the thousands of years. We have an amazing track record of not listening. Truthfully, we do. So the prophets and prophecy, how great was the prophecy uh, going in their church? Um, I got a word from you guys. How about you stop the division and you stop parsing people into little sects inside of your own little church? How about you guys stop that? Well, that's a great word. We'll listen to it and we'll decide whether or not we think it's from God. Well, it is. Because it's in his word all over the place. Well, we'll decide. Well, where there's prophecy, it's going to fail. Because it failed in your church, Corinthians. You don't listen. Lots of churches don't listen. Over the years, Paul's written several corrective letters. If you would have lived another 50 years, probably another 50. <laughs> truthfully. People struggle. They struggle. And yet, God loves them. It, it, should, it should make the margin of love, the way we understand it, even higher than Mount Everest. Because we're down on the ground and Jesus' love is higher than Everest and we can't, the gap is just, it's just too big. It's too crazy. It's almost too much for people to comprehend. When they think about it all the time, it's too much for them to understand. He says, for we know in part and prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. There's, there's wonderful things that God has given to the church. They're not going to be necessary once you're glorified. They're not going to be necessary once we know God, once we see God, and once we're changed and we don't have the, sin, the sinful members in our body anymore. We don't have that, the tent, the temporary, uh, the skin, the bones. Once that's over, a lot of this stuff is over. But one thing isn't over, love. It never fails. Prophecy, like I said, it's a wonderful thing. I, I hear less about it, like, oh, I'm a prophet. Whenever you hear some guy who shows up I, we've had a couple of these guys over the years. They show up and they're like, well, yeah, I'm a prophet to this. I'm a prophet to you guys. Okay, what do you got? They say stuff. It's not in line with scripture. They don't last very long. A couple of guys from the church, when I talk to them, they bail, they're gone. They leave. It's like, oh, okay. So there was something else going on there. Prophecy is not only a wonderful thing, reading the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, it's invaluable. It's amazing. I mean, re just reading the first five books of the Bible in Bible college. When I first read Genesis all the way through, I was 19 when I did it. My face lit up like Moses. I, I couldn't believe how much it blessed me. And yet the law and the prophets, they had a period of time and Moses didn't have a very good track record. Moses didn't make it to the promised land. Moses struggled with a lot of stuff. So the gifts are wonderful. One day they will all be, they're in part right now. We don't see the way we should see. We, I mean, we don't see a lot of things the way we will see them. But God is patient. God is long-suffering. God is all these things that he's trying to tell this church, you guys are focusing on the wrong thing. You're, 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 you highlight the wrong things, guys. 
If you guys could highlight something in your little scrolls on Sunday morning, your little tablets literally rock tablets. You guys are highlighting the wrong stuff. Parentheses around the wrong stuff. Love. I know it's just this, it's just this four letter word in our culture. It spans the universe. It's eternal. God's agape love. There will never be a moment from here, from the time that it happened to eternity, where Jesus is not not only praised, lifted up. People go, I cannot believe you did that for us. That will be millions and hopefully billions of people talking to Christ and going, I can't believe we lived down there. We knew how much of a nightmare we were. And you walked with us for three years. You walked with these guys. You showed them everything for three years. Think of the miracles those guys saw. Think of the miracles that Israel saw. And five minutes after, when they got a little hungry, they started crying in the, in the desert. I mean, I probably would have too. I always act like I wouldn't. Oh, you walk through the Red Sea? My faith is secure for the rest of time. I'll be perfect now. No. Where's the, where's the, where's the honeycomb cereal? Where's the quail? God, we're going to die. Where's the water? And yet, God, he didn't kill him. You know, sometimes you're like, I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill this person. People, we say it all the time. A lot of times people say it in their heads. We don't mean it. God had the actual justification to do it. And he did it. Seriously. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. This is the incomplete picture that's out there. Kids see stuff one way, and we understand why. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard to get a kid. You're not going to have a conversation with a two-year-old and get them to understand what you understand. It's not possible. It's just not. But there's supposed to be a progression of human behavior. There's supposed to be. It seems like we're struggling in 2023 with this to happen. A lot more than when this was written. But part of it is because the family has been destroyed. And there is not the support structure that there used to be that kids largely from the place that I come from, um, the statistic is uh, the number is so high. I wouldn't want to guess, but I know it's over 70% of kids in the South side of Chicago. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs that don't even know who their dad is. He's not in their life. They don't know where he's at. The dad that could be like, Hey son, let's go somewhere. Let's go. I'm going to take you on a trip. I'm going to teach you you know, who God is. It's kind of a big deal. You know, he made us. So we should probably know a little bit about him. We don't have that. There's so much that is missing and people, society just explains it away. Well, that's because we need more of, we need more programs. We need more money poured into this or that or the school systems or education or whatever. No, a kid needs a family. This, I mean, this is biblical. This is not, I wish it was the case outside of um, the church. But the problem is even in the church, it struggles. But there is supposed to be a progression from when you're a kid to when you're an adult. That's the things you used to do and things you don't do anymore. I talked to a guy recently whose adult kid is back home after many years, and he is beside himself as to what to do about it. A very, very, a kid at an age that should not be at his house right now. Back in his old room. I mean, well over a decade after he left it. Doesn't have like no job, no skills, no nothing any, anymore. Just no want to go out and, and do something. When we're kids, we're one way. When we're adults, we're supposed to be another way. But our, our, like I said, our, our society sees there's been a fracturing. There's been a, 
there's been a there's a there's a huge gap now between like what you're supposed to be doing at 18, 19, 20, 21, what you're supposed to be doing at 35, what you're supposed to be doing at 55. There's there used to be like like we, when we grew up, when I grew up in the in the 80s, I saw people talk about this in school. Like, hey, you should be, you know, you better be thinking about a trade or college or something. Now it's just like, hey man, drive drive people's Big Macs around. It's cool. Uber. Well, I know, but what after that? Well, just keep Ubering. Keep, keep, I mean, it's not, I mean, this is not going away. It's not going away. The, the ride sharing world and the, but it's like, and then you wonder why people are like, man, isn't there more? Isn't there more like, I was created like I'm, I'm good at some stuff. But because somewhere in the progression of from child to 20, 30, 40, something was missing. Nobody told them the truth. Nobody told them, hey, this is what God thinks. This is what God can do. This is where he can bring you. He's gifted you. You need to use the gift. You need to use what God's given you. We see things imperfectly right now, as the Corinthians did. It's a partial picture. A lot of us, I mean, when we think about like, what's heaven going to be like? What's the, what is eternity going to be like? What's, what's God like? These, these questions I have about God. Yeah, you see a little bit right now. You see a little, you see a dim mirror. But one day you're going to see things clearly. But for now, hope and love. Once again, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Obviously, these three go together. It's a huge deal how they go together. That when you're a Christian, people go, man, I'm starting to lose faith a little bit. Or I'm starting to, you know, I'm not very hopeful. Well, you can look at the country and the world and go, I'm not very hopeful for that side of stuff. Like for the, for all of a sudden for America, just, just to be like amazing next year, not very hopeful. I'll be honest with you. But I don't think that's news to anybody. I think a lot of people would say the same thing. Um, when you poll people, they say 80% or 70% of the country thinks we're on the wrong track right now. Now, they usually always say that. When you poll people, they're not very happy with Congress ever. It's usually polling somewhere in the 20s, five minutes after they got elected. Those people are in and out every two years. So it doesn't have a very good, there's a disconnect between like regular people and politicians. And the, if you will, the lording over us people, the people who tell us, hey, this is what this is going to be the case in your life from here on out. I mean, hope of heaven, hope that J Jesus is going to do something in, in your heart today, hearing his word, hope that the Lord is going to sustain you tomorrow, the hope that you're going to have food and, and shelter and clothing and all these things. That hope, when that hope struggles, it affects the other two. When your love for people wanes, it affects the other two. It can't not. They are, interestingly, the three of them, I'm not going to come out and be like, well, what they really are is the Trinity. I'm not going to say that. But they are definitely linked together. And that's why he puts it there. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three stay. These three have staying power. The gift of this, the gift of that, I can be pastors teaching in heaven. Like, hey, hopefully you guys can get saved. There's no need for that. Who's there is saved. 
evangelists, prophets. No, just listen to God. He's talking right now. Shut up. You shut up. You know, why would we need him? But we always need abiding faith, hope, and love. And Paul's like, to this church, to all churches that hear this letter, to every person who hears this letter, guys, love is the key. If you, I don't care where you find yourself, you can be in a dark place. You can be in a place where you're like, man, life's been, life's been rough for me for a long time. I've talked to a lot of people in the last six, seven months, and a lot of people say negative things or have negative outlooks on a lot of stuff. But when someone is really tracking with God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is doing amazing things in their heart. That person has faith. They have hope in heaven. They have hope in Christ. They have hope in God to do something. And they're, they're not only connected, they're essential. And that's the essentials. That's the title of the message is, these are essential, but the number one, which sets up the other two, it's like in, it's like in pitching. You know, you have this guy that sets up the next guy that if you have this guy coming in and you have this guy right after him because you know you have left-handers or right-handers and it kind of sets up better the numbers. They all study the numbers in baseball now. Oh, this guy hits like 200 with lefties, so let's put this guy in. They call them the setup men for the closer. Paul's saying, guys, in your church, you might think prophecy is number one. He could write a letter to our church and go, in Calvary Midtown, you guys think that number this is the number one gift, whatever that is. And I'm saying that in the end, if you if you guys don't love each other agape style, that the teaching or the preaching or the whatever, and Calvary's a known teaching denomination. It's a verse by verse. I think it's I think it's to me. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be here if I didn't think it was like the distinctive that I want to do with my life. If God's called me to teach, I want to teach God's word. I don't want to teach people's books. I don't want to teach people's philosophies. I don't want to tell jokes all night. You know, it's, that doesn't do anything. But this proclaiming this and allowing God's spirit to run with it in 2022 or 2023 or 2024, it changes people's hearts. And so, yes, I think it's, I think it's huge, but there's other areas where we need to be better as a church. We need help. We need people. We need volunteers and we need all the gifts that God has put in this church functioning. But the greatest thing that we can have as a church is to agape love whoever comes through the door, whoever's in our lives, even though we're going to struggle, even though we're going to mess up, to come back to the Lord and go, Lord, I messed that up. I, I, I fumbled the football on that one. I'm sorry, and I know that your mercy is new every morning, and I know I can start fresh, but I need help. And that is the key. I'm going to read this uh, a passage, um, just really a commentary from um, David Lowry, who I love his, his commentary on 1 Corinthians. He said, the gifts of the Spirit should be controlled by the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's something to catch. There's a lot of gifts that seem like they're not attached out there to the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of disorder. The Holy Spirit is never out of order. The gifts of the Holy Spirit should be controlled. Gifts of the Spirit should be controlled by the fruit of the Spirit, chief among which was love. This would lead to exercising the gifts so that they would benefit the church as a whole. It's a huge deal to benefit the church. The gifts benefit the church. And also they honor God. They lift up God, they worship God. By way of illustration and correction, Paul compared 
and contrasted the Corinthians' preoccupation with tongues and their apparent disin um, dis their apparent disinterest in prophecy. So the church in general, whoever the church is, whether it's a church from this era or from 100 years after this, or us, or churches from 100 years ago, that we have to. There's a lot of people who go, oh, that's a wonderful idea. But the gifts of the church, when you when you have a church that's, it's out of balance. Let's just say the church is out of balance. They don't have this going on and they don't have this going on, but there's people in that church that are gifted to do that gift. They could do that gift. Here's the deal. And I talked about this last week uh, and the week before. When you have spirit-filled people who are Christians, they all have the gift of love. They all have access to the same Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to live Christ's life through you. I mean, it's very, very simple. Colossians and Ephesians are clear on this. Christ's life. Colossians 3 says, win Christ who is your life. So I used to say in the 80s, hey, get a life. I did. I got Christ's life. Like that's Colossians chapter 3. Get a life, Christ's life. And when you live that out, when you live Christ's life, you can love people that you used to think they're unlovable. You can you can walk up to somebody on the street who has an offensive sign and be like, hey man, I'd, I'd love to chat with you about that or about Christ or whatever, if you want to. And if they're willing to, it can be the most offensive thing you've ever seen before. And the, lo- the love of the Lord, who, I mean, what's more offensive than God watching human beings hurt and kill his son? And right before that happens, the son go, Forgive these people. Well, you're going to listen to your son in that in that instance. I want to honor the son as he honors me. I mean, the father and the son honor each other perfectly. I, I don't even know how it all works, but it's it's amazing. But we can love people who we go, eh, I can do without them. Because the fracturing continues post-COVID probably as fast as it's ever been before. People that used to go to church, a lot of them don't go to church anymore. People that used to be in and around the church, They don't even go to the fringe services, the holiday services or whatever. People that are like, hey, we used to be able to talk and now we can't. I have a friend, I'll I'll close with this. I have a friend who told me that they they can't have any conversations with their own sibling anymore. And it has nothing to do, well, let me tell you what it does have to do with. It has to do with just straight politics. Mm -hmm. Coming out of COVID, they used to talk, now they don't. They can't even talk, and it's now, it's like six months to a year. They have a quick conversation. One of them, usually the one hangs up. I can't even talk to you. These were the closest siblings by her account. I mean, super close. Don't talk anymore. Why? Well, first off, they're not Christians, and so they don't, they, they don't, they can't buy into this higher spiritual love that, that the Lord supplies. So it's all flesh effort and flesh effort doesn't go very far anymore. It just doesn't. And so wherever you find yourself, whether you find yourself, you're, you are serving, you're not serving. You don't know anything about, you know, what this is even about. The Lord wants you in his family. The Lord wants you to practice that gift in some way, shape or form, not to create your life so busy that you can so that you can benefit, build up the church. It's like, it's like if the church was a human body and like, there's like two muscles being worked with dumbbells and the rest of it just atrophies. That's what happens. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you.
for this uh, t- this text. It is um, the love chapter is world famous. A lot of people know it. A lot of people hear it at weddings. Um, but there's so much beef to it. There's so much that we need to look at that we need to really uh, set our minds and hearts on and evaluate where we're at. Um, but Lord, I would just ask that um, wherever we find ourselves, that your spirit would um, pull us toward service, pull us toward building up the church. God, for those that don't know you at all, that they would call out, that they would ask for your salvation in Jesus' name. And God, that they would, um, if they're drifting or they've been far from you, that they would come back to you. Um, time is short. We don't know um, past this moment. But we, we can't count on anything in this life, Lord, except for we know that you love us and that you're coming back. It's in your name we pray. Amen.